let's talk about the spiritual gifts that we see throughout God's word and talk through um, how they apply to our lives today. How many of you have ever read that book, The Five Love Languages, or you know about it, okay? The Five Love Languages. So Dr. Gary Chapman really revolutionized the world back in the early 90s. I think it was 92 or 93. He wrote this book, The Five Love Languages. Inside of the book, he basically uh, highlights or details five different languages, he calls languages, ways to express love and to give love between romantic partners. And so something to build a healthy marriage. And then there's been split offs of that book that have even helped you with your parenting to your children, even help you in the context of your coworkers, knowing how people like to receive love and how you like to receive love can really, really help. And Dr. Gary Chapman is a believer. And I believe that he sees each one of those five love languages in the nature of God. One of those is quality time. How many of you believe that God wants us to spend quality time with him? Yes. Okay. So, and going through that whole list, you know, words of affirmation. Words of affirmation would be something that we just did. Praising God, worshiping God with our voice. He loves to hear the praises of his people. Scripture is clear about that all the way throughout. But another one that's listed in those love languages is gifts. And I love gifts. Now, you might just laugh and kind of underneath that laughter might think, gosh, you know, that sounds really selfish to just own up to that and say that you love gifts. But the truth is, I love to give them and I love to receive them. And it doesn't matter if it's a yacht, but if you got one and you want to give it to me, oh, praise the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a yacht or if it's a paper boat from my child. A gift to me is sentimental. It's important. When I look at a gift that's been given to me, when I wear that piece of clothing that was given to me, when I put on those shoes, when I, whatever it is, when I see that gift sitting on the mantle, I remember the love that's been shown. And the the truth is, the, the idea of giving gifts and receiving gifts can seem a little bit greedy, but it's not that I'm fixated on things as much as I'm fixated on that act of love that demonstrates the relationship. So it's not about extravagance. It's about sentimentality. Every time the person who likes to receive gifts and gives gifts sees those things, they see a reminder that they're loved and gifts are an expression of a relationship. You give certain gifts on the 25th wedding anniversary. Anybody know what those are? Silver? Okay, we're going to go with that. I didn't know the answer. What about the, what about the 10th wedding anniversary? Paper. Okay, she knows all of them. High five, wife. Um, we didn't even talk about this message ahead of time, but she's ready. Okay, how about the 50th wedding anniversary? Gold, because you made it that far, you earned it, right? No, and so the idea is gifts are an expression of relationship, and God in his goodness and his grace has given gifts to his people. So not only did he give us salvation through his son, which we recently have been highlighting and talking through about the cross and the empty tomb, the resurrection, 
But he's also given us practical gifts that he actually wants us to use. Have you ever received a gift that was impractical? Something that you thought, I'm never going to use this. <laughs> uh, definitely. Some of some spouses are nudging each other going, yeah, remember that Christmas? Um, sometimes we do receive gifts that we're just not going to use. Or we use once or twice in the excitement of the moment. And then it does just end up collecting dust. God gives gifts. And when he gives them, they come with a purpose. And here are the four purposes of these gifts. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts in this series. The four purposes are on the screen. They are to glorify God. The gifts that you receive from God are to glorify him. They are meant to grow the church. To grow the church two ways. Numerically, that means in number, and exponentially in maturity, growing up in our faith. In fact, I'll share with you later in this message, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells the church at Ephesus that they ought to grow up in Christ, mature in Christ. And it's as a result of the gifts being used in the church. They're to serve others. The gifts that God gives are practical, and they're meant for us to serve others with those gifts. And they're meant to meet needs in the local body, but also the local community. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the gifts and the categories of gifts um, that are mentioned in Scripture and evidenced for us in God's Word. And the Bible says that they are all available to all believers. I want you to think about that. Go with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Look at what he says in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Say the word all. Say the word everyone. Who empowers them all in everyone. And look at what verse 7 says. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That big word manifestation means being made realized, like physically you can see the demonstration of it. So to each is given the working of the Spirit for the common good. Jump to verse 11. We're reading a few select verses in this chapter to really paint the picture of what spiritual gifts are all about. Verse 11 says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Notice there, they're not empowered by you, they are empowered by God. And it says that he apportions to each one individually as he chooses or as he wills. Look at verse 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, he's talking about the human body, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. In verse 27, he finishes out by saying this very clear statement. Now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. So there are a couple of things that I want to highlight throughout this passage that we've read these various verses. And there are some truths here that I think are really important. Truth number one is this. Variety is the mark of a healthy and a vibrant church. If we all look the same, smelled the same, act the same, behave the same, it would be pretty dull and boring. There's variety. And you've heard that phrase before that variety is the spice of life. Some of you may disagree with that, but I actually agree with that. I really think switching it up from time to time, getting a new experience, having something fresh, that is important to your life. It's important to your relationship. It's important to your relationship with people and with God. It's important to have variety. So it gives life flavor. The same thing is true in the church. What would it be like if all of y'all were pastors and gifted to lead the flock? Just think about that. I, I could see there'd be some problems that would rise up because there'd be some headbutting of who was really in charge out of all this. Too many, um, well, that's not a politically correct phrase to use, I guess. Uh, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. But I mean, that's kind of, you know, just that idea of what if everybody had the gift of prophecy and everybody was just prophesying? What if everybody had the gift of generosity and then you had no one to give to because everything was, you'd have no outlet to your gift. Do you see? So variety is important. And I really think that it's a mark of a healthy church. God gives a variety of gifts and we're going to talk about those over the next several weeks. According to verse four, it says that he gives these gifts to his people and he is the one who empowers them all. So many gifts, but one spirit. Notice the capital S, spirit, being the spirit of God. So there's a wide variety of gifts, and God, when he gives these gifts, I really feel like, in, in line with what I opened the message with talking about, the love languages, I really believe that at the core of his being, God is a giver. John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. He gave life back. He restored health. He cursed disease and sickness. All of these things demonstrate his gift-giving ability. So the thing that it really helps me understand when we talk about variety is that God does not consider you just a number. You are unique and you are uniquely gifted and you are to use those gifts within the body of Christ. Some of us know very clearly what our gifts are not. Wise, wise people you are if you know what you're not gifted in. My wife and I were having a, a conversation recently. She's like looking at me like, I have no idea where you're going with this. We were having a conversation recently that involved numbers, okay? And both of us went to reach for our phones to do this calculation. And someone was standing there who's very, very quick with numbers and shouted out the answer. And we both kind of like looked at each other like, hmm. 
She's a teacher, okay? I went to school myself, but math is not my strong suit, and I'm okay knowing that math is not my strong suit. The thing that I should make sure I know is what I am good at, because God wants to use that stuff, amen? So, number two, truth number two out of this passage. In verse six, everyone gets one. At least one, maybe sometimes more than that. But when the verse that I had you read some of the words out loud, all, he empowers all in every one. So it's his, he is the source of strength for all of these gifts. It's not what you do yourself. In other words, that's what the Apostle Paul says. If there's anything that I'm going to be prideful about or boast in, I'm going to boast in Christ and him alone. It's him that's doing the work in and through me. It's not because I'm all that awesome. And so that's a humbling thing to really think about. But truth number two tells us that everyone gets one. The third truth is there. The purpose of the spiritual gifts really are for the common good. Now, there's a difference between spiritual gifts and spiritual or what we would call the fruit of the spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll go into that deeper in another message, the fruit of the Spirit, everyone should have all of those things. You can't get away without having kindness as a Christian. You need that fruit of the Spirit in your life demonstrated. Hello? Amen? So all of the fruit of the Spirit belong to every believer, but spiritual gifts are for the common good, just like the fruit of the Spirit is. It's meant for a purpose, not for selfish gain, not for your own pride or accolades, but it's meant for a common good so that God can manifest himself to others through you. How many of you would raise your hand boldly? I'm not going to call on you, but you would say, I know, Pastor, what my spiritual gift is. A couple of you? Okay, good. So we're headed in the right direction because not all of us raise our hands at that point, and I know that I'm headed in the right direction. Truth number four is this. Spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities given by God to his people. That word supernatural together... Okay, understand this. A spiritual gift given to you by God is not something that you can accomplish in your own strength. It's not, a comp- it's not to be accomplished in your own knowledge or your own wisdom or learning. It's something that God supernaturally enables his people to have. He gives and chooses as he sees fit. That's not something that you can earn I don't know if you're tracking with me, but you can't earn salvation. You can't earn God's love. You can't work to earn a spiritual gift of your choosing. There's a, there's a little bit of a pattern going on here. God does it to who he chooses and how he chooses. It's not merit-based. In our human relationships, in economics, in politics, in a lot of different ways, we believe in meritocracy. You get what you earn. Like you work hard and you get it. That is not the same in the kingdom of God. The Bible was not written by Americans. (laughs) 
So just, I mean, you got to think about this, okay? It's written by God's people, inspired with the truth from his spirit to give us, but it, it surpasses social and economic lines and all of the different little nuances of politics and all those things. God's kingdom is much bigger than that stuff. And God actually says, in, in my kingdom, you can't earn this stuff. I give it to you and I give it to you freely. That's what's so awesome. But he chooses. It's God's choice. Uh, number five is this. If you read through that passage that we did and read those verses, diversity and unity are marks of a healthy and a vibrant church. In verses 12 through 14 that we read, it talks about the body. Paul, by the Spirit of God, gives the analogy to these people about the human body and says, essentially, and I'll paraphrase it like this, just like your skin and bones have fingers, toes, a heartbeat, and a hair, so the body of Christ has various parts, but it's all together one. And who is the head of that body except Christ himself? He says that to them in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, when he talks about giving pastors and apostles and prophets to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that they can grow up into the head of the church, which is Christ. So diversity and unity are marks of a healthy and a vibrant church. The body of Christ is meant to be diverse it's okay that there are people of different economic statuses inside the same church. It's okay that there are people of different races inside each church. It's okay. Come on, somebody. It's okay that there are people in different generations inside the church. That's what demonstrates health and vitality. Is, is having the older minister to the younger and the younger to learn from the older and to see their way of life and mirror that in their own lives, hopefully. But diversity is really, really important in the body of Christ. If there's any place on earth that should be the most diverse, it should be the kingdom of God. It should be the church of God. So um, it's all connected, really. And unity, if you haven't noticed, is a big deal to God. In fact, I told you last week during our Easter message that Jesus lives today praying for you. I, I truly believe that Scripture is correct when it says He is ever interceding and He knows my name. He knows my situation. He knows my issues. He knows my hangups. He knows all of those things. And he is literally right now praying for me. He's interceding, going between me and the Father on my behalf. And his desire, his prayer for his people in John chapter 17 was that they would be one as I and the Father are one. That was Jesus' prayer. He prayed for unity. How many of you have ever visited a church that was disunified? Or ever been in a church that did not have unity? It's a sad, sad thing. Because I think nothing, hear me well, I think nothing tarnishes the name of God and the name of his people worse than a church split and division. 
I, you know I work a secular job. I, have, I call it my side hustle. Okay? I work a secular job, and uh, in the marketplace, you people stop at the counter and they'll talk to me. Sometimes they just open straight up and, and talk to me. Somebody did that recently and told me all the dirt about something I did not want to know about, which was the church split she was part of. She just started opening up about it, and I could tell that she's hurt, she's wounded. She's broken, she's immature, even though she's older than I am, she's immature spiritually, she's not handling it well. And I thought to myself, my God, you're bringing this up to somebody that you don't even know in the community because you're looking for someone to help you through this hurt, but there's nothing that tarnishes the name of God and the name of his people worse than division inside of the church. That's why Jesus is still praying for unity for us. And I'm so glad I get to preach this message when I'm not trying to avoid disunity that's in our body. Because currently we are a healthy church that has a lot of vibrant vibrant areas. Still, we have much work to do, but there's no major issue that would lead us to be disunified. We said a long time ago when we came here, this will not be a church with sacred cows. Just because Sister Judy loves this room for her Sunday school room doesn't mean that we can't change it to make it into a nursery. And you can't get mad and leave the church over something like that. If that was the case, I would have left this place a long time ago because of the pink carpet. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. Somebody made a decision a long time ago, but we're moving on. Okay, I'm moving on. I'm just moving on. Oh, help me, Jesus. Here's, Here's what I'm trying to get at. Immature people struggle with their hurts. And when they don't get their way, they do pack their toys up and go home. I see it sometimes with some of the teenagers that I minister to. Well, I'm quitting the team. Well, they didn't give me any playtime. Okay, just take your toys and go home. Well, my marriage isn't really working out. We've tried. We went to a couple counseling sessions. We're getting a divorce. I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. People do it in the church too. And I know I'm preaching to somebody. You're just not here in the room today. Praise God. Praise God. But don't be immature and be that person that just takes their toys and goes. Let me say this. There are a very small number, biblically speaking, of valid reasons to leave a church. So, and I leave that point on the screen. This is what we're talking about. Diversity and unity in the body of Christ. Meaning we can all be different, but we can all be unified under the banner of Christ. Here's, here's something that's a little bit of a soapbox moment. If you ever leave a church, please don't blame it on God. My parents are here and my dad's amening really loud. This is probably something he said before. <laughs> But if you ever leave a church, don't blame it on God. Oh, really? We just sensed the Lord leading us to leave? You sensed him wanting to amputate yourself from a healthy body? Don't use the phrase, I'm just not being fed. I heard it this week. No, the problem is you're not eating. 
and you're not eating six days out of seven and you're hoping for a buffet on Sunday, like I'm going to after this service, you're hoping for a buffet on Sunday and that's not the point. The point is not that you are not being fed. Literally 99.9% of those situations are not because a pastor is not preaching the gospel message. It's because you're not eating it. This is for somebody, hopefully just for, you know, longevity's sake, they'll get this message. Don't use the other excuses either. It's just gotten too big for my comfort. Or, you know, we've dwindled down. It's, it's too small for my comfort. The growth of the church of God is his responsibility, but it hinges on your activity. So there is to be diversity There are things that will be disagreed upon. But here are the two things. You say, Pastor, you're preaching about something that's not happening right now. Let me give you, for future reference, the two biblical reasons you can leave a church. One is you can relocate to another city and it's too hard to come. And the other is doctrinal error. If they are not preaching what's in the Bible, you have a right to leave. Okay. Yeah. If you die. Yeah. But okay. Sorry. Sorry about the heckler in the audience, but yes, there's two biblical reasons. And the other one, you're in the kingdom of God instead of on the earth in the kingdom of God. Yes. You can die and exit the church, but that's pretty much it. So here's the thing. So you say, pastor, you're preaching really hard about this. It's because it's my job to equip you to know what God's word says. And so if you ever do leave a church because you relocate to another place, or if you ever do leave a church because there is not being preached the doctrine from the word of God, and it remains uncorrected, you can't just, I mean, I don't encourage you to correct them audibly like that, but I do want to say this, and I can do that because it's my dad, okay? But Matthew chapter 18 lays out for you the way that you're supposed to have conflict resolution in the church. So doctrinal error should be corrected by those in authority over that church. And if you've gone through all those processes, all those things, then you've done all you can do and you have the reason and the right to leave. But when you leave, you better leave wisely and you also better leave peacefully. We're talking about the church. Jesus loves the church. He wants her protected and kept safe. He doesn't want anything bad to happen to her. He sure doesn't want division to mar her or to cause disease and cancer to grow. So whatever you do, do not stir up division. Remember, God hates division among his people. Okay, that was a little bit of a hard point. Diversity and unity are marks of a healthy and a vibrant church. Number six is this, and I'm almost finished. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you have not yet become a member of our church, over the next few weeks after we've discovered our spiritual gifts, we're going to have a class for you. For those of you who want to join and become members in the body of Christ here, you'll have responsibilities in the church. You'll have um, blessings and benefits from being part of any church, but our church specifically. 
you are the body of Christ and you're individually a member of it. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul is telling the church that it's the job of the leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And he says that like this, that we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God does not want the body of Christ to be stagnant. He wants it to be healthy and vibrant and always growing. How many of you have stopped growing humanly, you know, physically? As we're, okay. So yeah, we've reached a point where we stop growing. Okay. And actually we might start declining. Okay. And seeing that we used to be six foot tall and now we're five ten. you know, we start to, you know, gravity takes a hold on all of us. We're changing. Here's the thing I'm getting at. The body of Christ should not see deterioration. It should not see disease. It should always be in that childhood, teenage living space of growing and growing and having to buy new clothes because you're growing. Amen? That's a good analogy that Paul is using when he talks about our physical body. Worship team, would you come and join me? The purpose of the spiritual gift given to the church individually, to you as a believer is to glorify God and to grow the church. My goal over the next couple of weeks is to help you discover what yours is and to practically train you through teaching on each one of the gifts that we see in Scripture in the New Testament specifically. Today I'm going to give you homework. You say, Pastor, it's been a long time since I've had homework. Well, you've got some now. The homework that I have for you is this morning at about 11 o'clock this morning, a scheduled post went onto our Facebook page. So you'll be able to see it as soon as you leave here today. And it is a spiritual gifts assessment. I want each person who listens to this message to go to that site. It's just a PDF that you download and you answer 50, 60 questions and it tells you what your spiritual gift is. If you answer them honestly, truthfully, and you go through it, you'll find some answers at the end of it, and you'll probably be more aware than ever before of the spiritual gift that God's given you. And I want you to do that this week, and I want you to read the entirety of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it starts talking about those spiritual gifts and their place in the church. Because I believe that we are the body of Christ, but I also believe we're lacking some vitality because there's some people who honestly just unfortunately don't know what their gifts are. And because of that, they're not using their gifts. Also, there's some correction that has to happen. Some people have been told that X is their gift, but the demonstration of their life proves out otherwise. So they need help to figure out really where they're at in the whole thing. So you've got two pieces of homework this week. Download that um, PDF, take that assessment, and read through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you stand with me today? I recognize by the Holy Spirit's work in my life this week as I develop this message in this series that there are other needs present in your lives. I talked to somebody this week who's... uh, 
having some issues with their health and prayed with them. I was talked to at the door this morning by our dear sweet couple over here whose daughter is in need of prayer. I know that there are needs in your life. So would you this morning just close your eyes and let's bow our heads today and let's lift our hand. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I have a need in my life, whether it's in your finances, in a relationship, in your body, just lift your hand really quick. There are lots of hands going up right now. Your pastor's got his hand up too. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious gift giver, full of kindness and mercy and grace. Lord, everything you give to us is undeserved. It's all because of your love that you've demonstrated. So God, I pray over your people that have their hands raised and those even at home that have a need in their lives, in their heart, in their finances, in their marriage, in their children. God, would you reach down by your power, give them strength to weather the storm, heal those that need healing, provide for those that need provision. And God, let it all be done so that you can receive glory. Father, it truly is our prayer. It's my prayer over these people that over these next few weeks, you would help us to realize what our spiritual gifts are and that you'd help us to start using them in practical ways. In the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said...